and it's another beautiful day in King's Landing, where it's siege season. Sure as the winds of winter, another eight years has passed, and Queen Daenerys Targaryen is here to claim the Iron Throne. I'm your host, Torchibald Anus IV, formerly Torchibald Snow, but my father made me a true Anus, and come with me as we travel through the festivities of King's Landing as it is sieged by the Queen in her trail of dragonfire. And it sure is lively in a bloody scene here in King's Landing as the Dothraki rape and pillage their way through our streets. Oh yes, we have a severed arm over there and we have some blood over here, quite festive. Let's go over and talk to this person. Hello sir, how do you do? How are you enjoying the siege? I can't walk because my chairs are burnt off. Oh, they hurt. They hurt a lot. <laughs> you seem to have a cough there, sir. We'll, we'll let him figure that out. Over here, hmm, what, what smells like fried chicken? Is is dear Hot Pie cooking up a meal for after the siege? Oh, no, that is uh, Sir Gregor Clegane as he dies in a, a burning fireball of dragon fire. Get the fuck out of here, Anus. I'm burning alive here with my brother. Oh, well, I heard he's afraid of fire, so I don't understand why he's in a fire. Mm. Oh, look at this over here. We have a father desperately looking for his children. Daughter? What say you, good sir? Where did your daughter run off to in this wonderful siege? I think she was burnt to a crisp, but I went to a favorite watering hole, but she wasn't there. I don't know where she is. Wouldn't want to be that guy, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> what is this? I hear hooves clopping in the background. What is... Oh, look, it is... It's Arya Stark riding on a... On a pale white horse. What a wonderful display. I hope that has some sort of cryptic meaning that'll pay off in the finale. But nonetheless, we know who's winning the style award for this siege. It's another unsullied soldier getting done ruthlessly stabbing another patron of the brothel. Let's go up and talk to him and see what he has to say. Hello, Mr. Unsullied. How do you do on this fine siege? Valamogulis. Oh, Valamogulis indeed. Now, is it true that they cut off your Uh, piece? My stomach! You stabbed me in my stomach, you bastard! You're a bastard! Torchable! Torchable! What have they done to you? This season better be good. Someone get help for Torchable! Tell me, dear squire, are my entrails in vogue? No, but you know what is in vogue? Son of a ginger, coming up next. Damn you, fashion. Fashion is a bitch. I'm dead now. Start the show. Well, I uh, hope you're all right there, Torchibold. Torchibold Anus the Fourth, our man on the street intern who uh, helps do an okay Mason. Yeah, I mean, he seemed like he was pretty cut up. I mean, maybe you probably shouldn't ask an unsullied about his penis. 
an unfortunate situation all around. But you know what isn't unfortunate? That you're listening to Son of a Ginger Entertainment Reviews out the wazoo. And if you know what we're talking about, we're talking about Game of Thrones Season 8. As always, I'm your host, Patrick Baylor. And I'm Mason Moreau. And we got a big-ass cultural event to discuss today, Mr. Mason. Yeah, big-ass cultural phenomenon. If you like highest budget, record-breaking in like multiple ways in terms of production and viewership. Yeah, broke all of HBO's viewing records a couple times over. Maybe mm-hmm. thrice times over, if you will. Largest and most expensive battle ever put to the small screen, ever on television. A couple times. Yeah, a couple. They broke their own record yeah, with this. Yeah, they just keep yeah. breaking their own records. Yep. And... Should stop breaking records. Really take care of them. Well, unfortunately, now they have stopped breaking the records in that this beloved show, Game of Thrones, has now ended, began back in 2011, got... Eight seasons over the course of all those years. And this was the one that we were all waiting for. Uh, We had a little two-year gap. Season 7 ended back in August of 2017. And we knew that it was ending. And D&D, as folks like to call them, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, they both said, hey, we want to do this right by you guys. So it's only going to be six episodes. But they're going to be long. They're going to be lengthy. And they're going to have conclusions. Yeah, everything... All of the big, big decisions that have been teased throughout the course of the show needed to be wrapped up in this season. So there was a lot of anticipation and a lot of theorizing. Many, many theories. Many theories and many characters. Like, this had still the biggest, like, ensemble in general. Yeah, you know, like, Game of Thrones, unlike any other show before it and after, like, unlike any other show, period, has... Like, all of these narratives that have equal significance, which is crazy, right? I think one of the initial draws to the show for me was that there are all these characters that have their own development and their own arc, and you can completely leave a character that you love out of an episode and still have these other characters develop and their arcs start to make you care about them. And by the end of it, by this season you know the backstory of pretty much everyone who's in these situations and you get to start seeing their stories conclude. And from someone as big as like, you know, Jon Snow, will he be the king? Will he take up his secret name that he later learns on about this season? Or, you know, so that big ass storyline or, hey, Brienne wants to be a knight and hey, so does Pod. And we even get that kind of resolution. Mm -hmm. And that's nice. So obviously you spoil a little bit Spoilers ahead, guys. I know Game of Thrones spoilers are something that people try to avoid. I couldn't tell you how many times at work I saw people like just, you know, covering uh, their ears with their hands and just going, la, 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 don't stop, stop it. So we start the season off just kind of since it's been two years, we've got to remember some things that happened. So what end of season seven, the whole cast kind of gets together. They get together in King's Landing. They recognize, hey, winter is in fact coming. Guys, let's band together. And everyone's fairly they get on together board. in king's landing yeah remember with the white they show the oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah uh so they get together in king's landing they like literally show cersei yo stop your thrones gaming we got dead people that just want to kill us all there's bigger fish to fry cersei yeah get out of your petty mindset she stays in the petty mindset and she kind of forgets about everything else while all of her main characters go back up to winterfell to deal with this big problem and this kind of the big problem of the first half of the season. 
are these right. White Walkers, these guys yeah. that have been teased since the first minutes of this show. Mm-hmm. And going into this season with, without seeing it, you start to wonder, like, are they going to take care of the politics problem and then have the final problem to solve be defeating the White Walkers? Or are they going to start the season off with the battle for Winterfell and, are, and then worry about the politics later? Um, which they did the latter. And I thought it worked. It really gripped me into the season at the beginning with, you know, there were a lot of really awesome character moments in the opening episode. And then I think, was it the second episode that was the battle for Winterfell? It was the third. The third. So the second one was the night leading up to the battle for Winterfell, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we got even more character moments in there and it started to sort of, it really, it, it had a very strong start. I think that most people that I talked to, at least, were very pleased with the first three episodes of this season. I'd agree. At least the first two and a half. Uh, you can get to it a little bit later, but uh, the, obviously the big uh, issue with episode three, it was a battle scene all at nighttime. And unless you know how to make your TV settings perfect, it's going to be a little bit of an issue to see everything correctly. So that was one thing. But overall, story-wise, yes, I completely agree. Uh, the second episode, the most, I think, made you also worry for these characters because you knew it was going to be this big-ass battle scene. So, like, I know everyone on Twitter the next day was like, oh, Brienne's going to die. She had that nice moment. She's going to get killed in battle. Mm-hmm. And a couple of those other moments. And then, you know, it it really was just death watch for these characters. And Yeah, it was who's going to die and when. Yeah. Or more just like when are they going to die? which then getting into that mindset and then finding out the, and seeing the actual conclusion of the season can be disappointing for some people. But I think going into this season with more of an open mind and less expectation was more the optimal way to, to enjoy it. Agreed. Yeah. So we had a lot of players, a lot of people, you know, still a lot of characters made it, and we're going to try to focus on the ones that are vying for the throne. We got Sansa... Or the realm. Vying for the realm. Vying for the realm. Sansa, Arya, Jon Snow, Cersei, Daenerys, the Night King, and hey, let's just throw our good pal Bran in there. Well, maybe I think I, maybe it's the wrong uh, term saying that they're vying for the throne. I think there was characters that... The players. That we all thought had potential to end up on the throne, right? Correct. There um, you go. And then Tyrion as well. Because I don't think Arya or Sansa were necessarily vying for the throne. But I think that as the season went on, we could see them taking it up out of necessity. Yes. So we have a lot of characters and a lot of storylines to wrap up with those characters. All definitely now interwoven because, you know, you'll see combos that you like totally forgot about. It's like, oh, yeah, didn't they hang out in like season three or like, oh, yeah, I remember their interaction in season four, like stuff like that. So we got to see a lot of those moments, especially in those early episodes especially at those battle scenes. Uh, I think Jorah and Tyrion saw them back together. Well, just seeing them together in general, it's like, oh, remember that? Remember mm-hmm. that? Along with Sam and, you know, stuff like that. Right. So, Sam and John, and all of his Night Watch, Night's Watch buddies. A lot of reunification of duos and pairings that happened throughout the course of the series uh, that are fan service that makes sense. They use the backdrop of the battle for Winterfell to be an avenue for these characters to get back together and, uh, you know, rejoin 
for this sole cause of defending the realm from the impending apocalypse. Yeah, and be this last unification. So uh, as we're talking apocalypse and talking, you know, kind of episode two and episode three, uh, one big thing that I guess was kind of finally resolved was all the Lord of Light stuff, the whole Azor Azai and, you know, these big old prophecies with the Red Woman who is now adios now that she's thrown Azor her... Azor oh, I don't know how to say things. You know that. Uh, yeah. I think it it was in sort of an oddly convoluted way. They sort of, in this show, they did what we talk about Marvel movies doing a lot, is they plant seeds uh-huh. throughout the, the series and prophesize things that could be brought up later if they want to bring it up later. And so, you know, writing this, they sort of were able to pick and choose which one they wanted to actually follow through on, which I feel is where a lot of the criticism of this season comes from. Uh, but, you know, they had Arya, the one, it'd be the one to kill the Night King. Coolest moment um, of the season, by yeah, the way. Great season. Uh, total callback to her uh, sparring with Brienne with the drop of the dagger. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, Arya was the one to kill the Night King, and she was totally nonchalant about it afterward. Total after, badass Arya move. After she lost her virginity. After she loses her virginity to Gendry. Sounds like a um, great prom night. Yeah. So, you know, I was I was team Arya and Gendry all the way, but, you know, they didn't really get the payoff that I wanted. No. Uh, and if anything, Gendry was a little bit of a red herring, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. And glad about it. You know, I'm happy uh, with just the whole Game of Thrones stuff. They didn't just be like, oh, remember this guy from season two? Well, because he actually is in the bloodline, he's the most rightful heir to be the king. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we got to battle it out and all that good stuff. So, yeah, the Lord of Light stuff was maybe not a red herring in itself, but it made you interested in things. It did kind of matter because like this Sir Barrett guy who I didn't realize was in like season one and stuff too. I just remembered him only as the eye patch dude. Apparently he was like a knight in season one. I totally oh, missed that. It's right. like what? Um, the fire sword guy. Yeah, he keeps, keeps being brought back by the Lord of Light. Yeah, so he yeah. finally like realized his destiny, which was to keep Arya alive, to kill the Night King, to kill the Night King, and we see him go. And then a lot of those other kind of like more minor characters. Though Sir Jorah is a big guy that gets caught in the battle. Now I'm just rambling about the battle and stuff, but they did kind of just quickly throw that aside, I'd say. Right? A little bit? The whole Azor's eyes thing? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, would have known. I think there was, like, I don't want to say it's anticlimactic because it really did conclude in a really awesome moment that had yeah. us all cheering when we watched it, right? Sure. But I think it was uh, a little bit out of left field and sort of arbitrary picking Arya. Yeah, sure. Even though I thought it was arbitrary, I think I think I think that it was still a satisfying conclusion to that little prophecy. And surprisingly, again, the end all be all wasn't the dead. You know, I thought by like episode five or six, you know, the dead would be down in King's Landing, and then like terrible stuff happens. But no, they button that up as well halfway through. You know, with Arya killing him, and it was a good vehicle to kind of with just all of the winters coming and the Night King, and this army of dead, it was a good way to make the whole series cohesive, I think. Like, it was the big bad, and you always had to worry about it, because as much as everyone likes to worry about the political intrigue and who's going to win the throne, you need some you need some damn zombies in there now and then, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's the most prolonged piece of foreshadowing in the show. 
because literally the opening scene of the first episode of Game of Thrones is a wildling having an encounter with a White Walker. He gets attacked by a white. The intrigue created in the pilot episode of this show finally gets its conclusion in the final season. So then we move on to... The Thrones in. The, the Thrones in. The actual Game of Thrones. The real Game of Thrones. Right? The White Walkers and the Army of the Dead have been taken care of. And we get back to Daenerys, Jon, and Cersei. Who's going to run the shit? It becomes immediately apparent it's going to be one of those three. Right? I think there was you know, some long-reaching theories that I even bought into that were going to be like a left-field end-up-on-the-throne sort of deal. But... Looking back on it, it was pretty apparent that it was going to be Daenerys, Jon, or Cersei. Cersei's the one running the show, Danny is ready to conquer, and Jon is the right flair. Mm-hmm. They all have a legitimate claim. Right. And the second half of this season is sort of propelled by the death of Jorah Mormont and the death of Missandei, which leaves Daenerys fully, fully broken. Right? The only person she has left in this world is Jon Snow, and he's already revealed to her that he has more of a claim to the throne than she does. So she doesn't even know if she can fully trust him either. She's definitely jealous when she learns that information. Mm -hmm. We start off the second half of the season with a broken Daenerys, who in turn starts to siege King's Landing. We got a little glimpse of that in the cold open. She starts to siege King's Landing, promises Tyrion that... She's going to call off the siege as soon as the surrender bells ring, surrender bells ring, and she keeps destroying the city and killing thousands of innocents. And it's this sort of final tragic turn of this sort of benevolent queen that we've started rooting for, not having anything to fight for anymore, starting to kill countless innocent people. I mean, we get the Mad Queen, and this was the biggest of the season overall of just, you know, many more eyes were watching, you know. Like we said, broke viewership records. So many more opinions were to be had. And the biggest opinion from the general public is like, well, where did this come from? She was so nice. And now she's just going to burn everyone. How dare you? But you bring up a great point. She lost two of her closest allies. And, you know, I just saw it on Twitter. Some little supercut that helped make things make more sense. And the entire time as she's like, you know, looking over King's Landing before... She's six Drogon on the city. It like cuts to like little like moments that shaped her in that like, oh shit, she's been through a lot and she can't trust anyone. And then, Mm. you know, that's reinforced in the finale when Tyrion literally says like she originally came from this place of good, but more and more as she, you know, conquered people, she just thought she was more and more right. And the lines blurred and crossed. She started losing the true definition of liberate. Yes. Right? She started mistaking liberation for genocide. Yeah, genocide and just conquering and running the shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think Daenerys' turn to someone evil and to more of a villain character is the perfect turn of events to make Cersei's death more tragic. Essentially what happens is we get a giant glimpse at the penchant for evil that Daenerys has. And then when you compare that to the amounts that Cersei has killed, it's now Daenerys has killed scores more. Cersei don't seem that bad. Like, she's shitty. Compared to what Daenerys is doing, Cersei, she's a low-level criminal, right? Yeah. So 
when she has her final moment with Jamie where she's just saying, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, it's a little, just a little more heartbreaking, right? Yeah. And you, you kind of, like, you kind of secretly root for Cersei anyway, right? Just because she's, she's a badass. She's a bad bitch. Right? It may not have been intentional, but I think that that turn was very appropriate to make Cersei's death a little more gut-wrenching. Yeah, I think it all made sense in that context. I think we forgot so much about what happened. I know I did considering it was two years since maybe watching any kind of episode. And and then by then you do kind of forget a little bit about all the motivations. So must be lucky for someone that was just binging it all in the two year span and then got, hopefully they can better understand and better realize the full story as opposed to the viewer that watched it live where it's, it is a little bit spottier, a little bit easier to forget. Then we get to the final episode. Let's talk about the finale. Yeah. Let's talk about the finale. We got six episodes this season. It was quick to wrap up we got a good mix of what they introduced in the first two episodes and the fourth and fifth episode combined which is the sort of evil daenerys tyrannical daenerys and also some very pleasing good character moments and also let's just talk about it from a technical standpoint this thing looked the coolest that i can remember and it sounded the coolest in that Raman Jawadi, what a cool score. Like, as I was watching, I was, I was like a little tensed up. I was scared. Mm-hmm. They made her look like a desolate villain that I could see tomorrow just running a terrible city of terrible people. Right. I was a scared Westerosi person. Yeah. And imagery wise, you know, she is the first time we really saw her army standing before her as she was giving a tyrannical speech is very, very Nazi-esque. They hung the flag on the broken city and everyone's sort of bowing down to this new dictator, essentially, unabashedly following her every lead. And you have Dothraki dancing and you have all the Unsullied standing there, so cold and statuesque. They really do drive home the point with this sort of Nazi imagery that she's not who you hoped she would be. And uh, then it's we finally get Tyrion's moment where he takes off his hand of the king thing, throws it down. They throw him in a cell and he gets his final in a prison cell monologue. Oh, my God, that monologue. Right. So he's, uh, you know, Tyrion throughout the course of the series just finds himself in a jail cell where another character comes to visit him and they have a good conversation. Yep. And then he gets out of the jail cell because of those conversations, right? So Jon Snow comes to visit him and he tells Jon Snow, you gotta, you gotta do something. He smooth-talked it and, I mean, again, I'll say it again, he really did tie in and help justify how Daenerys got where she is and just kind of where we are in the season and be like this great narrator in this song of ice and fire. Right is able to broker even more and literally end this show. Mm-hmm. And he does it in the craziest way. You know, it's all about stories, you guys. And you know what? Now that Daenerys has been stabbed and is killed by her lover, Jon Snow, and Jon Snow's in prison, we've got to have a new king. So who's got a better story than that? Our good boy, Bran. Bran Stark himself. Mr. Bran. Mr. Paraplegic Bran. Bran the Broken. Brand the Broken. What a title. What a kind like, title. He's like, why do you think I came all this way? He foresaw that he was going to be king uh, because he is the three-eyed raven. And uh, I thought it was, you know, it was it was a surprising, delightfully surprising choice to make Brand king. 
It surprised uh, all of us, and it was also fun watching this. You know, you and I watched it with all of our buddies, and we made these $2 bets on who would actually win the Iron Throne, and then we're like, all right, but, all right, guys, if it's a democracy, <laughs> we all get our money back. And no one bet on Bran, and we, I guess, were kind of right. It was a little bit of this little democracy. They nominated this person, being Bran. Yeah, I mean, it was it was sort of a democracy, but he was, I think... It was Sam who was like, I think we should let the people decide. Oh, and, they were, yeah. and they were all like, no, <laughs> why would we do that? Which was very a very funny tongue-in-cheek moment. You know, it was, it was an out-of-left-field choice to pick Bran. I don't think anyone thought that he would become the king, but it would make sense that people would pick him and that he would be a good ruler because he's one of my favorite pieces of fiction ever is Watchmen, and the character Dr. Manhattan, Bran, is sort of the Game of Thrones version of that, where he can see his past and future, and he's sort of this person who's not really a person anymore, and he's he doesn't really cling to himself as Brandon Stark, and he's sort of this omnipresent being. Yeah, right. That just is all knowing. He's he's an encyclopedia that can make decisions. Right. He objectively understands the true good that needs to be done. Right. So with Brand being king, it satisfies me. When you think about the story, I guess, you know, it does make sense. He is this all-knowing guy. But as a viewer, isn't that kind of boring, man? Yeah. I don't know. As a viewer, you know, you John and Daenerys are the two characters that you unequivocally root for throughout the course of the show. Since the death of Ned Stark, since the death of Catelyn and Rob Stark, you sort of cling to these characters. And when they reveal that Jon Snow is a Targaryen, then everyone's like, oh, he's definitely going to be king, yeah. right? He's definitely, he has to be king. He's our favorite. He's everyone's favorite. Why He's would he not guy. be king? Yeah. But, you know, then you got to remember it's Game of Thrones, right? They're not going to do what you think they're going to do because then it wouldn't be the, like, initial selling point of the show. Yeah. Then you and me right. would be big TV writers if everything went along with how we wanted it. I mean, I'd love right. to be a big TV writer and HBO, if y'all are hiring, I'm around. But a lot of cri criticism of this season has come out. And, you know, we we looked it up on IMDb before hitting record and saw that a couple of the episodes were review bombed. Yeah, I think the finale had like 4.5, something like that. Coming out of it with all the criticism of the writers, I think it's important to point out that the writers were tasked with doing something that George R.R. R. Martin hasn't even been able to do yet. Literally hasn't been able to do. They sat down with him and... He sort of gave them a couple story beats that he was planning on hitting in his books and told them to fill in the gaps later. I want to cut him a little bit of slack because no, the writing wasn't as good as other seasons and it was a little more epic and grandiose than other seasons where Game of Thrones hasn't always been about that. The fantasy elements have always sort of taken a backseat to the character development and politics of the realm right yeah. they've always been more of a flavor additive totally the fantasy elements and the epic scale of this season really take the center stage and that threw some people off these character moments and all of these conversations that people felt needed to be had didn't and that people theorized were going to happen didn't and so we end up with an effect that's similar to the last jedi where some expectations were subverted and gut reactions 
led people to to not really be down with what they saw because it wasn't what they had envisioned in their head. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think, and if you just kind of go in this, if you just never had a Twitter, Facebook, and you never heard of Game of Thrones, and you watch it without any of the noise, I think it would have been a little bit more enjoyable in that you just don't expect anything. You just watch it. You let it happen instead of kind of festering on the ideas for two years, which is what happened. And I think I can understand why many people did get disappointed. Mm-hmm. And apparently for season seven and eight, shorter seasons, of course, they had a different writing staff than they had for previous seasons. I can only theorize why that is, but something tells me that they allocated the budget towards these, the CGI for the dragons and this giant battle and all of this stuff. And maybe they were just like, we got to cut corners somewhere and let's hire some writers who need a smaller paycheck, have a smaller rate. Yeah. Right. And we can speculate on entertainment salaries all we want. We still got a good ending. It was cool. And you know what? I'm going to just go with this fun little idea that, you know, hasn't been said, but maybe it'll be said in the books when they're written, or maybe this, there will be some sequel years and years from now. I'm guessing that Bran as a three eyed raven is actually evil. And the three eyed raven lives forever or lives like a thousand years, right? Maybe his eyes will open up and then they'll be blue and icy and then he's actually the Night King and then everyone will die and be terrible and lots of terror all around. And then they'll start a new series. (laughs) Total speculation. But you know where that speculation stems from? The fun of the pop culture moment that this was. I couldn't tell you how fun it was coming into work Monday morning after watching this Game of Thrones. Like, we went to a music festival, a three-day music festival, and we still raced back to watch whatever episode, just so we wouldn't get spoiled the next day. Yeah, we we all decided, we even decided at 9 o'clock, while in the crowd, watching Tame Impala, to scream, Oh no, we have to get back for Game of Thrones! We have to go back for Game of Thrones! We didn't actually go back for Game of Thrones, we were just joking. Because we have Uh, DVRs. Time just stops when Game of Thrones comes on. And it has been that way since probably season four. Yeah. Game of Thrones is an event. For a long time, like right after I graduated college, season seven came about and it was was an event. I would go to the store, get some groceries, cook myself a nice dinner, have a glass of wine and watch Game of Thrones. That pleasant evening, right, is something that I'm going to remember about Game of Thrones. I did a study abroad in like France in 2016. I think it was like season five when it was coming out. And so we were ahead of when the release schedule was, and I think because of international rights, we weren't even able to get HBO Go. So there's some new people I really didn't interact with, and our friendships like formed even more as we huddled around our phones to see whoever could get like this torrent to watch it. And I just love the cultural moment that it was that we don't really have in TV anymore. We don't have water cooler talk anymore, you know, because there's so many damn shows to where it's like, all right, hey, one guy from accounting. Oh, cool, you watched uh, you watched Barry Nice. Oh, hey, Susie from whatever, you watched The Good Fight? Great, you know? It's all these like little shows that are all great and good on their own, but not everyone's watching them, and half the fun is to just talk about it. And to be able to kind of, you know, do it more than just sports, than, hey, did you catch the big game? Hey, did you catch the big battle scene last night? That was fun. Mm-hmm. It got to be kind of more of than just a jock with, you know, talking sports the next day. Technically, you know? it was the big game. It was the biggest game. The biggest game. It was the biggest game. You're right, and I don't think I can't think of another show where I had that because I watched Breaking Bad all by myself. When I watched through Breaking Bad, I think I was the only one out of all of us who was watching it at that moment. I watched the finale by myself, and then I was finally able to talk to people about it 
it was never at this scale where we were having watch parties and yeah, we could because we can just all curate our TV going experiences to watch whenever we want at our own times, which is you know great in the streaming age, but for these pop culture moments, it has been just reserved to movies and sports. So now that Game of Thrones is off the air. What do you think is the next cultural moment? What do you think will get everyone around the TVs to excitedly say, did you see that? I mean, I guess we have that with The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And that's the only thing I can really think of at the moment, again, other than sports. Yeah, you know, like I can speculate all I want, but the truth is, like, I don't know. And we won't know until it comes around. You know what I mean? And I think that's exciting in itself because HBO has a pretty decent suite of shows coming out for the rest of the year. I'm very, very excited for Damon Lindelof's Watchmen series, because like I said earlier, Watchmen is one of my favorite pieces of fiction ever. I have a Watchmen tattoo, so I'm like super excited to see how he adapts Watchmen, which is, it's not going to be a legitimate adaptation. But I think the groundwork has been laid for, for some new stuff to come about. Yeah, I want it to be Watchmen, but if it's not that way, then I'm not going to be super hurt about it because I feel like shows like Game of Thrones only come about once in every blue moon, really. Like, And I think the last time I remember a show being this much of a cultural event was The Sopranos when I was a kid. And the finale for The Sopranos, I remember you know people were going everywhere to get free trials of HBO and try to get the finale of Sopranos. And let's not forget... Everyone hated the ending of The Sopranos as well. Yes. But as a whole series, it was good. It was solid. So I'd like to see the next Game of Thrones and Sopranos come around. It's going to be difficult in this streaming age where in that the biggest show I can think of right now that is like already airing and has a established fan base is Stranger Things. But so all those episodes are just going to come out July 4th and then everyone will watch it on their own time or in that weekend. And... I appreciate binging, but I'm not trying to watch eight heavy hours of TV on one weekend. I want to enjoy it. I want to savor it. I like being forced to block out the time. Yeah. You know, and it's also just a little bit more digestible when the content is being served to you at a specific time. And if you miss it, you're, you're going to have to catch up yourself, right? Mm-hmm. There's, it's just a different approach to consuming television, right? Because you can, you can watch Stranger Things in a whole night if you want to stay up and watch the whole thing and then you'll be miles ahead of everyone else who watched it responsibly yeah right with tv airing you have a week to savor and simmer on the episode before you go into the next one yeah right and that's half the fun because you get to speculate and you get to sort of wonder what's going on and i think a significant chapter in my history of tv watching has closed and it's cathartic yeah and i'm excited for the next chapter so hopefully we have a couple of game of thrones prequels in the works so maybe those will be the next big thing i hope the established game of thrones fan base can make it that next cultural moment we'll just find out with what the content is in that like it's still been very secretive what it is i think i saw like a hollywood reporter interview this morning with some hbo exec and it was like, well, so what do you think is going to happen in these prequels? Well, I can't characterize what the creators want to make. It was like, all right, just, just say you don't know, man, and, and leave the interview, you know? They're the smart ones. I just make the money. They're the smart ones. I make the money, and I green light things, and <laughs> I still make the money. I have a big rubber stamp, and they hand me a paper, and I stamp it. It's got my face on it. Correctamente. So before we go, what do you want to speculate? We Do you smell a sequel? Do you smell a prequel? I'm burnt out speculating about Game of Thrones. I'm not really interested in really diving into what I think 
is going to be the next adventure in Westeros because I'm really excited for something new. I'm excited for the next cultural phenomenon TV show. And I don't want Game of Thrones to be muddied down by arbitrary spinoffs and things like that. But you so know it will. What I hope... So what do you think's going to happen? What I hope is that they tell a story that's unique enough that it can stand on its own, is what I hope. Uh, you know, I don't want it to turn into Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, or solo a Star Wars story. Very fair. I'll play the speculate game. For the prequels... I think it'd be cool. I think what I've heard is just the Baratheon Rebellion of all that, of how they, you know, got rid of Targaryens and stuff like that. So that'd be cool. That'd be a cool mini series I'd watch. So that's what I've heard. I'd also, for the sake of there's so much damn lore in this show, I'd like to see the whole how the White Walkers were made kind of thing. You know, it was explained to us in a long scene sometime in season five or six, but it'd be cool to see it. I think maybe that's what these will end up being and might work the best of maybe these mini series kind of things. They say this story in this great lore, finish it off, lots of viewers, and then another thing. But of a sequel I'd like to see, that probably won't happen, but maybe it will. Arya in the New World. Arya slices through bad guys as she goes through Brazil and America and Florida. In that order, she goes to a Sao Paulo club. And then there's a bad guy. So there's many options. I'm excited to see options. I don't know about you, Mason. I think there's a great world and lore of this Thrones world that can happen. But until then, we can only speculate. But hey, as we speculate, there's lots of past podcasts you can listen to. Speaking of options, there are a lot of options for services that you can download our podcast from, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, and a Raven. Download our podcast via Raven. Via Raven. With that, this has been our review of Game of Thrones Season 8. I'm Mason Moreau. I'm Patrick Baylor. And I'm Torchable Anus. I'm still alive here. I'm just sitting here with my entrails on the ground. 